Rob. What are we doing here? I've got a bit of an update that uh, you've already seen, but the 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 uh, avid listeners may not have. Oh yeah, okay. Um, I have had some information presented about a previous topic we've talked about presented to me in a way that made me rethink my opinion of the topic. Yeah. There is a, I'm going to call him sports vlogger. Yeah, that's accurate. Named John Boys, who makes just excellent informational statistical sports videos. With badass background 70s music. And what looks like 90s style computer graphics. Yeah. It's really low budget <laughs> stuff, but man, he presents information in a way that's uh, digestible. And yeah. he recently put out a short video that you'll be you'll find in the show notes below about the Colin Kaepernick situation. Yeah. And I think the way he presents the information made me think that uh Colin may have gotten a little bit more shafted than I originally had given him credit for. <laughs> Uh, the video, like, Rob sent it to me a few days ago, I feel like. Yeah. The video is fantastic. And uh, and honestly, you referenced a similar video before. The same guy did a video on Barry Bonds. He's the one, you, you talked about how, you know, we were talking about doping or using steroids in um, in Major League Baseball. And you talked about how Barry Bonds was so feared that if he hadn't even gone up to bat with a bat, but the pitcher didn't know, right? But he he just went up to bat, and he didn't have a bat. The pitcher had no idea. It looked like he had a bat. That he still would have been the best <laughs> batter in the league uh, for like two or, the, two or three years. Yeah, uh, but, but, see, but see, that video, which I'll also put in the show notes, um, reinforced my opinion. So okay, I felt yeah. comfortable sending you that one. Yeah. My opinion about Kaepernick was that he wasn't maybe as good good enough yeah. to make himself worth it to a team. Um, yeah. But I think the way that John presents his career up till now, it's pretty clear that a lot of teams probably could have used his help. He he yeah. The, the thing that he does great is he's a, a prob- he's a statistician and he like charts out all of these statistics and he does a certain amount of you know um a, he makes some assumptions and he tells you what all of those assumptions are but the best thing is he chooses multiple metrics you know cuz we were talking what's that famous metric for batters that's not just like your bat percentage it's like OPS OPS right so he he says like some statisticians like OPS some like this he gives like five or six different ways to look at the same data and by the fifth or sixth one when Kaepernick is definitely getting screwed in all six metrics you're like okay this is obvious like it's not like he was one of the worst players in the league or one of the worst starters in the league he was at least mediocre in some of those metrics and Excellent. In really, some other really, ones. yeah, really, really excellent in some other words, ones. And my favorite metric is the last one. I don't even remember what the metric is, but it the way he presents presents it is hilarious and it's fantastic. Uh, so we should link that in the show notes because it's a fantastic uh, analysis of his career. Uh, with that update on uh, previous topics, we actually have a lot today that we want to talk about. So this is probably going to be one of those episodes where we don't laugh as much as we cry. <laughs> yeah. They're both... Well, you laugh a little bit about, about like just how ridiculous 
life is, I guess. You know how sometimes when things just go really badly, or you see yes. something terrible, and you laugh, and you wonder why you laugh, but it's really just a defense mechanism against the sadness? That's yes. today's laugh. So, the first topic is going to be the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. That is the name of the bill that has now uh, passed both the House and the Senate. So but a is... different bill has passed both. They still have to reconcile yeah. the two. And they are pretty different at this point. The House bill is a lot yeah. more severe than the Senate bill is. Yeah, although the Senate bill is still fucking stupid. <laughs> but uh, So yes, they still have to go through a conference committee. And uh, President Trump would still have to sign it once those reconciliations are made in conference committee. Um, but as it stands today, it looks very likely that the uh, the version that came out of the Senate is going to be what what actually ends up getting passed. Or close, mostly, that bill is what will end up getting passed. Um, and I want to read just two things. Uh, two, two, and then we can discuss. How's that? Or sure. maybe we should, should we do one at a time, or should I read both of them? Read both of them. Let's, let's, see, where, okay. let's, see, where, let's see what interests Aaron. So the, the first thing is, the next time any Republican ever says something about the deficit, I will tell them to go fuck themselves. Because it, it's, it's like a shitty shield that they had when, when they wanted to hate Obama-era policies. It was like, it increases the deficit, or the deficit's too high, or the debt's too high, or blah, blah, blah. Okay, but now you can't say that anymore. You can say, the deficit's too high, and I don't care about healthcare. You now have to tell me what you don't like about the deficit, because your representatives in our federal government just told us they do not give a fuck about the size of the deficit. It, the, the bill that comes out of the Senate, after having been evaluated by both the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, which is, which is both uh, Republicans and Democrats, um, and the Tax Policy Center, which is also non- nonpartisan, they both estimate that the deficit will increase between $1 trillion and $1.4 trillion. And if you don't remember, that's not the debt. That's the deficit. Deficit. That's the yearly change. So we will. It will cause one to one point four trillion more dollars to be spent per year. The current deficit is six hundred billion dollars. Uh, so now you might say, well, under Obama there was a period of time where it was one point four trillion dollar deficit. Yes, there was. Except your argument was back then was the deficit is too high. You can no longer ever make that argument to my face. I will freak out. Like, I will literally freak out. They would make the argument that this is going to cause so much growth in the U.S. economy that that will make up for the deficit. Yeah, sorry. These, uh, these numbers are, with that growth taken into account, by both the Tax Policy Center and uh, the Congressional Budget Office. Now, what I saw earlier was a tax uh, policy center was saying $2 trillion, and you're saying one, between 1 and 1.4. So that the two trillion, it, it depends on which one. The morning of Friday the eighth, or sorry, Friday the third, whatever it was. I think it was the third. Uh, no, it's like the first. Friday the first. Yeah. So the morning of Friday the first, 
that's what came out. The Tax Policy Center something said something like two trillion dollars is the deficit. If we take your shit of like better economy into account, it's one point five trillion dollar added to the deficit. Um, by that night, when they passed it, they passed it at two a.m. on Saturday, December second. That's the Senate. Uh, the neither the CBO nor the uh, Tax Policy Center had taken a look at it and actually set. They had taken a look at it, but they hadn't come out with their analysis yet. That it had come down to one point four trillion dollars, and then probably about one trillion dollars when you add the economic benefit into the equation. So, um, assuming there's no financial market crash or something that really sucks, it'll it'll add one trillion dollars to the deficit. Okay, what was the second thing you wanted to read? Um, and by the way, that's uh, that's over like 10 years or something like that. Anyway, okay, yeah. So here's the, here's the next thing. I'm going to read this whole paragraph, which is a summa- summary of the CBO and the Tax Policy Center, what they said. And then maybe we'll do like a, a sentence at a time. Uh, under the version... Of the bill that the U.S. Senate passed, 9% of taxpayers would pay more under the current law. 12% uh, would pay more in 2025, and then 50% of taxpayers would pay more in 2027. The income groups with the increases in taxes earn under Uh, The top 1% of taxpayers would receive approximately 18% of the benefit in 2019, 22% in 2025, and 62% in 2027. So in 10 years, 62% of that $1 trillion that's like now not being pulled in by the federal government will be going to the top 1% of taxpayers. The bottom 80% of taxpayers would receive 38% of the benefits in 2019. Not too bad. Uh, And then 9% of the benefit in 2027. So the bottom 80%, most taxpayers, will only see 9% benefit in 10 years. The Senate version also impacts healthcare with up to 13 million fewer people covered with health insurance and Medicare cuts of up to $25 billion annually. And let's face it, that is probably on the bottom 80%, more so than it is on the top 20%, or especially the top 1%. The top 1% either A, don't notice their healthcare costs, or B, have it paid for by their company, for the most part. The Congressional Budget Office then reported that the increase, uh, the deficit increase of $1.4 trillion could trigger an automatic spending reductions in specific categories up to $150 billion per year over the next 10 years, which includes $25 billion in Medicare. Um, I don't have Medicare. That's mostly for uh, senior citizens. (laughs) And this is because in 2010, there was a statutory pay-as-you-go act, which requires that unless you get 60 votes in the Senate to waive that, uh, that act, you have, you have to start cutting things uh, over time if you increase a certain dollar value of the deficit. So that's pretty much – that's it right there. Like, I don't understand um, 
how anyone can convince the the majority of people who are taxpayers that this is good for them. Are you wanting me to defend it? Because I think I'm not. I'm wanting you to say, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> the devil's advocate here would say trickle-down economics. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's pretty much the only thing that you could possibly say that... that Yeah. And then, like, trickle-down trickle down economics doesn't exist because all that ends up happening is rich people save more money. Here, here's the cool thing. It does exist. It just doesn't exist to the degree that Republicans think it has the last... Every time they've tried it. So the CBO is a nonpartisan part of Congress that knows, has historical data on what happened when these types of policies were passed. And they said, yes, there will be like 8% higher employment, uh, uh, sorry, not 8%, 0.8% higher employment, 0.8% uh, higher GDP, things like that. But not like the 5% that Republicans would claim. Right, they're like, this is going to trickle down, and everyone's going to make more, and we're going to have, you know, five percent more GDP uh, per year, or something like that, or five percent more GDP per capita, or maybe just GDP in each year. So, either way, like, what the hell? It, it that's a good argument, and I, and honestly, I've had this discussion with Republicans before. The concept of trickle-down economics is not foreign to me, and it makes theoretical sense, right? I'm like, okay, that is a that makes sense. Okay, you give tax breaks to, to businesses and higher earners, and they end up creating businesses and creating more jobs and growing the economy. That is a sound theory, and in truth, that is what happens. But it does not happen and has never happened. To the degree that um, fiscal conservatives think it does. And the CBO has said that. They've said, look, yes, you will get some growth in cutting these taxes, but you will not get the growth you think you're going to get, and this will add $1.4 trillion to the deficit. So what the shit? <laughs> so that's good to talk about. That's like the broad strokes of what will happen. Yeah. Let's talk about some specific things. It Same. might affect I, people listening to this. I'm, I'm excited about that. Do you, do you want me to read those too? Because I also have notes on that here. <laughs> well, let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about a couple that I think are going to – that could affect me and you. Yeah. Homeowner's loan deduction. The mortgage. Correct. The mortgage. So for people who have a mortgage. Yeah. Currently under U.S. tax law. You can count the money you pay in interest as a tax deduction. Aaron, what will change if this bill blows through? So what they're doing is they are capping that interest deduction at $500,000. What I'm not sure is whether that cap is on – I'm get, it's, it's hard to tell based on what I'm reading, but – that actually is one of the few parts of this legislation that actually does increase taxes on wealthier people. Uh, so getting rid of – most people think that the deduction – there's two deductions that you get for buying a home. One is the fact that you can deduct the interest you pay on your mortgage and the other is that you can also deduct the property taxes that you pay. So you know, for lots of states, it's like 2%. 
uh, or like Texas and Washington are both pretty low. They're in like the one to three or something like that. Let's say it's two percent. That basically means if your house is house is worth a hundred thousand dollars, you're going to end up paying two thousand dollars worth of property taxes uh, over the year. They typically split it up and roll it into your mortgage payment. And For the it, well, actually, yeah, I think Texas and Washington are actually particularly high property tax. Really? They they make up for that because they don't have income tax. Yeah, sorry. Actually, I, yeah, you're you're right. I I misspoke. Yes, Uh, Rob is correct. Now that's different. We could talk about the state income tax in a second too. But so for both of those, they're capped. So it used to be that no matter how much interest you paid and no matter how much taxes you paid, either the cap was extremely high or there was no cap. They're bringing down the mortgage interest cap to $500,000. If that's the cap on the interest, holy God, your house is expensive. Uh, so I'm wondering if that's the cap on the price of the home. Uh, but I'm not sure. I'd have to look that now, up. Wasn't there a minute where oh, – wait. So wasn't there a minute where they were going to take away the whole – being able to deduct the interest, and I guess that just didn't make it into the final bill. I think that's uh, that's always like kicked around. I honestly, I'm kind of, I personally don't think that's a bad idea. Uh, the, the thinking goes that really, this is it. Really, the mortgage interest and the property tax deductions are better for rich people. Like the wealthier you are, the the typically the better it is. Um, because most people who are not wealthy don't own. And so they're just paying rent. And the thing is, if you're paying $1,000 a month and I'm paying $1,000 a month and you're renting and I'm uh, paying a mortgage, I'm deducting, like, depending on what part of the mortgage I'm in, could be $800 a month or $500 a month or $100 a month, whatever it is, you get to deduct that. Now, the thing that's interesting to go along with that is the standard deductions have changed. A lot of people don't pay enough. Uh, they either don't do enough charitable getting, giving, or they don't do. Um, they don't have enough mortgage interest, or they don't have enough property tax, or all these things that you can deduct. They don't have enough to go over that standard deduction. So there's actually two things that are pretty good for uh, uh, for for lower income earners, and those two, those are those two things. Property tax uh, and mortgage interest deductions are capped, and the standard deduction is doubled. So no matter who you are, you can you can declare more deductions. But, however, in the current system, you can deduct from your taxes anything you pay in state income tax. Correct. Which, under the bill that was passed, would go away. Correct. Which would so, more than make up for the difference in the standard deduction, which is why they were saying it's like something like someone who makes fifty eight thousand dollars a year would pay sixty eight more dollars per yes. year in taxes under the new system than before. Which is what yeah. like that's like the threshold of how much money you'd have to make before you're paying more taxes, losing the state income tax versus the state or deduction doubling. Correct. Uh, and so that that's a big deal. For people like you and me, we don't care about that. I mean, sorry, I care about it because of the way it hurts other people. But like personally, it does not affect me because Texas and Washington both do not have state income tax. And the like doing like local taxes, like sales tax and shit is always wonky anyway. Um, now, if so, you allow me to put my tinfoil hat on for a minute. 
Yeah, okay. The people that that particular thing hurts the most. I know what you're about to say. Are voters in states like California and New York that have high state taxes. States that did not vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. And so he might be targeting those people or people who work for him might be targeting those people in particular because he's a vindictive type of person. So most people like – at least when I talk to people, even like before this or five years ago, ten years ago or whatever, most people think that you should be able to de- deduct your state and local taxes. Um, and so that that kind of lends itself to this conspiracy. It's not even a conspiracy theory as it's just like if if they really, really thought that it would be bad for their base – they probably wouldn't wouldn't do that, um, but a lot of this is bad for their base over the long haul. So maybe they did. But the theory goes that because kind of these liberal havens in the United States are largely states with high state income taxes, they are purposefully doing that to kind of screw over those states. Um, so which is which is possible. Um, Another thing that this bill is doing. Yeah. Is it's reducing the amount of money that goes to public education and giving a pretty significant tax deduction for pri- for parents who enroll their kids in private school. Yeah. So what it is what that part of the bill would be trying to do would be to defund public school systems in order to push more people towards private schools. Now, what that's going to do is that's going to hurt everyone enrolled in public schools yeah, and marginally open up the opportunity for a few more people to enroll their kids in private schools. Because it's not making private schools cheap. It's making them cheaper. Yep. So they're taking money away from the public to – Push Make it easier the, for a few people to go to private school. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's an interesting decision to yes. – like I, I find it hard to believe there's too many historians out there that think the public education system in the United States was a big mistake. Um, yeah. The, to the bill's credit, one thing it's increasing is currently today – Public school teachers can deduct $250 per year from their taxes in order to buy supplies for their classroom. Yep. Under the new bill, they will be able to deduct $500 per year. So to defund the entire public school education system, they get another $250 (laughs) to buy school supplies. Yay. Um, (laughs) And I think it's $10,000 deduction you can do uh, to send your kids to private school. Yeah. Do you know who uh, was the glorious leader of that amendment? No. Good old Ted Cruz. Mm. <laughs> so I just think that I think the thought there is there's no Christian pri- public schools, and so they're trying to push more people into religious or yeah, uh, non secular education. So. Let's be honest, that's actually a quote. Like, the, the literal quote is, this, th- this deduction 
would allow people to use up to $10,000 a year from tax-advantaged 529 savings accounts to fund tuition at private and religious K-12 schools. So, like, literally, they, they didn't even try to hand-wave the fact that part of this, part of the motivation is religious in nature. And actually, that, um, that amendment almost didn't make it. There, it, it pa- the entire bill passed the Senate 5150. Um, I'm sorry, 51-49. That specific amendment uh, was a 50-50 tie that Mount, that Mike Pence had to break and voted in favor of. Um, so, yeah, it, like, Isn't they it, didn't even try is it, Wouldn't <laughs> it be against it. the First Amendment's separation of church and state for the country, the state, to give a tax break to religious schools? Isn't that promoting religion? Yeah, it's it's in a it's in I would say a constitutional gray area since uh, there's a lot of things in this country that promote religion, such as saying "under God" in the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, which Congress made changes to to put "under God" in, and specifically referring to a type of a specific god or a specific religion. So now let's face it, most of the religious schools in the United States are Christian. Uh, so it is definitely a boon to uh, Christian private schools. But um, it would apply to all equally. Um, the problem is there's, there's – I've always had a problem with that um, personally because, you know, I, I would – I think that there should be no references to any religion in any texts that is governmental, including the word God. Uh, or supreme being, or you know, whatever it is that you say, there should just why why even say anything about it? So, um, but that brings us to another part, fun part, I think, is and, and there's there's two a few things that were slipped in uh, at the at the very end that have nothing to do well, only a little bit to do with taxes. Um, one of those is that. Um, it opens 1.5 million acres of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge for oil and gas drilling. Uh, so it, it was a push by uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski, who I believe is a senator in Alaska. And it's basically, you know, to, to make more money for Alaska. <laughs> um, so that kind of sucks. But the thing that was really, really, really concerning to me is the repeal of the 1954 Johnson Amendment. And so the the Johnson Amendment is part of a tax uh, overhaul in the 1950s. And the, the Johnson Amendment is actually Lyndon Johnson uh, who wrote the amendment. Uh, and what it basically says is that it disallows churches and other nonprofit groups from endorsing political candidates mm-hmm. or engaging in other partisan political activities. Um, so they can lose their tax exempt status and things like that. Um, in in actual use, there are it's it's so part of the funny thing about this is the way I just read it. It's never been enforced like that. It's enforced when a non-church or non-profit institution like uses money to endorse a candidate, but speaking endorsements, as far as I know, have never been 
actually prosecuted or gone after by the IRS. So if you're a pastor and you go up in your church and you say Donald Trump's the best candidate, that type of like the IRS going after you has, to my knowledge, never actually happened. Um, but it just became this like big thing in the 1990s where the Christian right started to be like, what is this bullshit? Even though no organization had actually ever been pegged on that unless they used money to endorse a candidate. Um, but what sucks about repealing it is now the money is okay too. And that's, that's not okay in my opinion. Non, nonprofit organizations should not be uh, spending money on uh, political campaigns in my opinion. Uh, yeah. I don't know about you, but there's three more things that I wanted to hit on this real quick. Okay, let's do it. Um, one of them is there is literally a tax break in this law for private jet owners. Yeah. Now, it <laughs> is awesome. not as simple as that, but it's not much more complicated than that. Yeah. What it essentially comes down to is that the way commercial airlines pay for the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, is that for every seat ticket they sell, they pay some tax. Yep. Well, this, this, what this originally meant was that private generators didn't pay any tax to support the FAA because they didn't sell any tickets. So what yeah. they did is, is for private jet owners, you had to pay based on the fuel you paid a tax based on the fuel you used. So then you had private generators paying a tax on the fuel they use and commercial airlines paying tax for the seats they sell. And these taxes were used to pay for the FAA, which is what regulates all the planes flying in the United States. Yeah. Really for from the FAA's point of view, they don't care how many people are on a plane because every plane they have to track. So it's more about yep. how many planes there are, not how many people are on the planes. So even under this system, the burden of the tax was much more on commercial airliners than it ever was on private jets. Well, yeah. then a third category of planes started going up in the air, which were privately owned planes that were selling tickets via a charter system. Yeah. And what happened was that those type of planes, privately owned, but they were selling tickets on them, were now paying a tax because they're privately owned. Uh, so they're paying <laughs> for the gas they use. And yeah. because they're selling tickets, they're paying a tax on the tickets they sell. Yeah. And even under that system where they were paying double taxes, it was still far more tax burden on the commercial airlines. Per plane. Per plane. Yeah. But now this bill is eliminating that, and so they will all have one straight tax. And I'm not sure exactly what it'll be based on, but what ends up is it'll shift the burden of it even more on the commercial airliners and less on the private jet owners. So there will be a tax break in this bill for people who own private jets. Yep. Fantastic. It's like, uh, you know, you pay for like registration fees and stuff for your car. It's like, oh, all of you people, you plebeians who are shitty, just regular car drivers, you have to pay <laughs> your registration fees. But if you're super rich and you're, you own a private Hummer <laughs> like limo or something that uh, is private and somebody else drives you around all the time, then you shouldn't have to pay that fee. <laughs> 
Uh, makes total sense. Um, What's the other one? Two more. Second okay. one, a tax break for golf course owners. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So That's uh, awesome. <laughs> super awesome. It's, it's what we've always needed. Um, so there will be a tax break for people who have certain kinds of businesses and yeah. one of the main businesses that utilizes a tax cut this tax cut that exists in the tax code today is people who own resorts and golf courses and awesome. this is one of the few taxes that's not being touched so it's, what do you mean they're not changing it so the tax oh. break currently exists and they aren't changing it got it okay um <laughs> That one's, you know, they got, like, people who own golf courses, not people who own golf courses and people who own private planes so far. They need to keep that tax break. Keep that, keep that tax break. And the third most obvious rich people are making out on this one that these are three tax breaks that, that only affect a very small number of very rich people is, and this is the biggest one, the repeal of the estate tax. Oh, so for those yes. people who don't know... There's a thing called the estate tax that exists today. And what it says right now is if you're single and you, when you die, if you have more than $6 million, you will be taxed 35% on any money over $6 million. So you can pass down $6 million to your descendants after you die. Anything over $6 million, there's a tax on it. Yeah. I think for individuals, it's $6 million. For couples, it's $12 million or something like that. Yeah. This affects, as you might have guessed, a very small number of people die with that much money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, is... even people like Bill Gates won't because of the way they hold their money, you know? Anyway, like, you know, he'll either donate a shit ton or put it all in a certain type of trust and shit like that. Like, there are ways to get around it, too. It's not like it's hard to get around anyway in the first place. And uh, this is something that's seen as too burdensome on the on these people, and so they are eliminating the estate tax. Yeah. Um, and, and I just I just wanted to point out those three things. And the other thing that I, I think is worth talking about is like the main thing that Republicans are saying is the main important thing to get out of this is that the uh -huh. United States companies pay the highest corporate tax rate in the world. So they, that you will hear them say that over and over again. And if you just look at our straight corporate tax rate and compare it to other first world countries, you will find, if that's the only thing you look at, that ours is higher. Yeah. However, in most other countries, if you're talking about Germany and you're talking about France and you're talking about Japan and you're talking about these other first world countries, their corporate tax rate is – lower but that is it they don't have things like deductions their tax codes much simpler than the united states tax code yeah if you take into account all of the deductions and subsidies and all of that type of stuff that united states companies get their tax rate falls right in line with the rest of the world today yeah so there is an argument to be made that you could take out a lot of deductions in order to make the tax code simpler but that yeah. is not what this does. This dramatically drops the tax rate for U.S. corporations, but leaves in place many of those deductions that those companies yeah. will take. They've so, eliminated some of them. 
they've eliminated some of like there was a manufacturing one where there was just like they made it a, a, a tax break in like the 1950s or 40s for companies yeah. manufacturing companies but then over time that companies that are quote-unquote manufacturing has greatly expanded to the point where like it's almost every company can claim this deduction so they're eliminating things like that but things like they are eliminating things like the clean car like electric car t- tax break but they aren't eliminating things that things like major oil and gas companies yeah use um so what this is going to lead to is that u.s com- corporations are going to pay some of the lowest taxes in the entire world rather than bringing them in line with the rest of the world yeah so the, and the, well there <clears throat> there's two other kind of pieces to this which is interesting that corporate tax rate is going from 35 percent to 20 percent which is a pretty big drop the other thing that's interesting is if you own a pass-through business and a pass-through business is like a, an S-Corp or an LLC or something like that, which basically means you don't want the business to actually pay taxes. You just pass the uh, wealth of the business on to the owners, and then the owners pay taxes on the money that they either get out of the business or the value that the business has changed basically in its bank account. So if you own a business and your business makes $1,000, whether you pull out the thousand dollars or you keep it in the business, uh, the way it's taxed is uh, as your personal income tax. So what that meant is you, uh, like basically in your taxes, you'd add up all of your income, and then you would just add that to the end, that business income, and then do the personal taxes. That has changed. So it meant if you were rich and you were at the forty percent tax rate and you made another $100,000 out of your business, you would pay 40% on that $100,000. They've changed it. So even if you are in the 40% tax rate, which means you're doing quite well, it's like over $400,000 a year, something like that, uh, today. Uh, So if you're in that tax bracket today, uh, then you're doing well, you're okay. Uh, That next $100,000 today would have been taxed at 40%. They're, cha- they're capping that. So that next $100,000 is only taxed at 25%. So no matter how much, you, you could have $100 million and make $100 million through an S-Corp. I, I think they are capped, so maybe that's not a thing. But let's say you make a $1 million through an S-Corp. That's not, it's not capped, at least at that level. Then instead of paying 40% on that $1 million, you would pay 25% on it, which is a huge, huge tax cut. Um. The funny thing here, the thing that irritates, one of the things that irritates me the most about this bill is that because it fucks the deficit so hard, they have, they they aren't allowed to let these tax cuts go on forever. So I told you, so if you go look up the brackets and you calculate your taxes in 2019, you'll be like, yay, my taxes will be lower. False. They will be lower in 2019, but they slowly go away because of how hard Republicans fucked the deficit. The corporate tax cut and the pass-through business tax cut will not go away. So rich people, like, like if you've got a pass-through business or you're doing well as a corporation, that cut will stay. But your personal cuts, who they say they're trying to help, middle America, that's who they're trying to help. Those phase out. Because they literally could not pass this bill without phasing out some of the tax cuts. And they decided to phase out the cuts on regular people rather than phasing out the cuts on 
pass through businesses and corporate corporations. Like, great job, guys. Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, um, there's a lot. This this is a very large, very complicated bill. Yeah, and there is no way that me and Aaron are going to cover all of the things in it in this period of time. Yeah. Um, what I would say is, uh, if healthcare is going to get worse, they're taking away the they're taking away Obamacare's ability to pay for itself by getting rid of the individual mandate, and so Obamacare will eventually become unable to sustain itself, and so healthcare costs are going to go up dramatically when that happens. Uh, yeah. If you plan on going to graduate school, there are some serious oh, yeah. things in there that are going to make it much more expensive for you to go to graduate school. Um, yeah. If you are a billionaire, you should be okay with this. Yeah. Other than that, you need, to, you need to be concerned. However, we can't spend the entire episode talking about this because there's other stuff going on in Washington right now that we need to talk yeah. about. One comment that I want to make just to drive the point home Without giving anything away other than, you know, uh, my employer pays for my health care and I do own a pass-through business and things like that. Largely, this is, for me personally, it's positive. And so, like, I want to say that it's not, like, just me complaining about paying more or paying, uh, like, me getting screwed. It's actually good for me, I think. And that's what's frustrating is that it should be helping it, – it, these tax cuts should be applying to the 80 percent, not you know, the, the 20 percent whose health care paid for them and who have passed through businesses to protect taxes or who own passed through businesses but make high salaries and things like that. So uh, I just wanted to point out I'm not complaining uh, personally. I'm complaining for, for the state of the – the people of the United States, in my opinion. The other thing that the United States government is trying to take away is your high-speed porn access. <laughs> um, yes! Just start it out as uh, on the right foot, if you can. Um, There's the, the, the a concept, and correct me if I explain this in any way incorrectly, Aaron, called net neutrality. And essentially what net neutrality says is that ISPs, internet service providers, the people who who send the internet through your pipes, cannot tell you what to do with the internet once it gets to your house. Um, it's the, 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 the thing that they, that internet service providers are angry about, what they're saying they're angry about, is that certain services use a lot more bandwidth than others. And they don't think it's fair that they have to provide internet to support those services when they should, when they think they feel like they should be able to charge extra to the, for those services. So essentially, what Verizon wants to do is that they want to charge you for a base internet plan, but then if you want Facebook, it's ten dollars more a month, and then if you want Netflix, it'll be ten more dollars a month. They kind of want to make the internet like cable television, where you pay for a channel package rather than just paying for all TV that comes through all of the things. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the more sinister look on this is if net neutrality is repealed, 
ISPs will be able to regulate what internet you see. So if there's some blog or some individual who's talking about how terrible Verizon is, Verizon would legally be able to block you from seeing that content. Um, if Verizon decides that they don't want to show hardcore foot porn, you will no longer be able to get hardcore foot porn as a Verizon customer. Wait, wait, Ver- wait. I didn't know that was happening. I, oh, God. Verizon hasn't stated that one publicly. I'm just giving an example. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> More sinisterly, though, even than taking away foot porn, Verizon <laughs> could make it so that you couldn't see their competitors' websites. So you couldn't go to AT&T.com. You couldn't go to Time Warner Cable, although I think those might be the same. Um, yeah, yeah could, I don't know at this point. You you couldn't go to those websites. You would have a much more difficult time finding alternatives because you wouldn't be able to find them on the internet. Um, I, 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 I cannot possibly fathom an argument for a non-open internet in the United States. Yeah, so – and just to make one thing clear here, I think your analogy with the TV is good the way you experience it, but um, the realities are much different. So with the TV thing, it's really HBO that's charging you for the individual channel or Showtime or whatever. It's a good analogy, like getting individual channels a la, a la carte, but HBO says it costs this much for HBO – for us, like we can't be a network unless we charge you more or we don't want you to have to see ads, so we're going to charge you more. So really, even though Comcast charges you for HBO, it, it's really HBO charging you for HBO. Um, and, and we already have websites like that. And so this is a little bit different. It's more like you know, all of these channels are free, but then Comcast says, but we don't like Fox News, so you're not going to get Fox News. Like Fox News wasn't going to charge you extra. But Comcast just decided no more Fox News. Or if you want Fox News, we, Comcast, are going to charge you $5. That $5 doesn't go to Fox. That $5 goes to us so that you can watch Fox News or so that you can watch CNN or whatever it is. So it's a good analogy of how it works. Like you pay more for different things, uh, but it's it's much different in, in its implementation. We don't really need that because what sucks is like, well, not what sucks, but the reality is the internet is so accessible and it's so easy to work through the internet that we don't really need uh, – like I can work with Facebook and pay them what I want to pay them for. And I can work with Chase.com and pay them for what I want to pay them for or uh, you need a budget or whatever, right? It's so easy for me to go on their site and set up payment with, through them. With the HBO and stuff, it's just easier to have it one package that you pay for and then they – pay the those those networks now honestly that's kind of going away and the reason why that's kind of going away is because most people want that to go away like i'd rather just pay for hbo which is fine like i paid for hbo now i don't need to pay comcast for hbo i just told hbo i'll give you 15 dollars a month and then i can log in online or log on to my xbox or whatever to see hbo the thing is you make a really good point that's their argument the argument is we need to be able to charge extra for these things because we have to, uh, you know, it's more bandwidth or it's more overall data usage per month or whatever, which is which is possible. My thing is, fine, you as a business have the right to charge for that, just like um, 
you know, certain cell phone providers will charge per gigabyte or whatever. Like ISPs have been known to do that, or some ISPs will say if you go over a terabyte of download or a terabyte a terabyte of downloads in a month, then the next everything after that is reduced by thirty percent bandwidth or something like that. So they're allowed to do that. The thing that they're not allowed to do is target that bandwidth restriction on specific services today. Net neutrality is the concept that the ISP cannot target one piece of traffic over another. If you ask Comcast.com for a byte of data or you ask Facebook for a byte of data or YouTube for a byte of data, they cannot treat that byte of data any differently. And that's that's the same kind of thing. It says if your TV said, uh, we don't really want you to see Fox News, so we're going to treat that differently and give it to you in standard de- def- definition not high definition, right? Or not 4K. Now, if Fox News decides to only produce standard definition content, that's up to Fox News. That's fine. But it shouldn't be up to Comcast, your cable provider, to limit that quality for you. And it shouldn't be up to Comcast, your internet provider, to limit one bit of data over the other. And the final thing, is the most important thing, is not just what you have to pay for or what they think they have to pay for. It's the fact that while companies claim that they won't do anything nefarious, it allows them to. So whether or not they claim that they will or will not, it allows them to. And there have been times in the past where companies like AT&T and Comcast have literally said, like on iPhone, AT&T would block Skype. Because they wanted you to have to use data or or whatever it was, something like that. But they would block certain services so that you had to use their services. And one of the worst um, violations in the past, uh, it's it's actually a kind of of fascinating one. Um, AT&T, back in the day, would tell customers that using Wi-Fi in their house was constituted as federal theft of service. Like, that you taking your connection and broadcasting it to your own home is you stealing like stealing more service than you should be allowed to, to have, right? And so these are the types of things that companies actually did. And, and this notion that they'll be cool is just fucking bullshit. Bro, like, cool. that's just, it's, yeah, it's just a pile of bullshit. Yep. <laughs> so I've had people ask me about net neutrality before. And one of my favorite things is it's because, like, obviously liberals are not for getting rid of net neutrality legislation. I have Republicans ask me, and I explain it, and they're like, oh, yeah, that it seems like we want to keep no tra- net neutrality, but, you know, there, there's got to be some good reason to get rid of it. No. Like, why do you think that's got to be? It's It's got to be the fact that there are lobbyists. That's the truth. It has nothing to do with you as a consumer. It does not help you as, the con- as a consumer of the internet in any way whatsoever. So unless you want to screw yourself over to help Comcast make more money, um, that's fine. Buy stock in Comcast first and then tell them that they should screw you over. Because otherwise it is not in your best interest in any way whatsoever. You're going to pay more for your internet and you're going to be limited 
in some ways, depending on what website you use. Uh, well, it depends. Like, what they want to do at the beginning is make things like Facebook and Netflix more expensive. Yep. But from there... It could be anything. And it could, it could get political. Now, with Facebook and Netflix, it's not really political. It's just like, that's more bandwidth, so we're going to charge you more for it. Then charge me for the bandwidth regardless of where it comes from. And I will have to limit my Netflix consumption if I can't afford the bandwidth. Or I can choose to make Netflix standard definition because I don't want to pay for more bandwidth. But you should not be limiting Netflix and make it come only through standard definition for me. And, and part of the problem is that while we wish it were not, the telecom industry right now is largely monopolized. It's not actually monopolized across the country, but for individual consumers, it is largely monopolized. You have one, maybe two options for your internet in almost every area of the United States. Unless you live in a really big city or a really advanced condo uh, or something like that, more than likely your choices are limited to one, possibly two companies. And in many cases, that one company with the other company had some type of deal for how their pricing should be. And so you're already getting screwed. My perfect example of this, <clears throat> did we talk about communism? Remember that time we were like, here's the thing, communism? Mm -hmm. I think I did talk about this then. I lived in a community in a neighborhood where the neighborhood, uh, before it was built, the designer of the neighborhood decided the community is going to own the, the internet company. We are going to build a fiber network here. We are going to connect it to an upstream, uh, like not just an ISP, but a thing way above that that like provides a shit ton of bandwidth. And we are going to make every person who lives in this neighborhood an owner of that company. They can vote on changes that we make. They can vote on price increases, so on and so forth. So literally, I would get things in the mail that's like, we want to relay new cable across the community it will cost five more dollars a month uh, for this period of time, yes or no. I paid $60 a month for a gigabit down, a gigabit up, which is insanity. I pay 80 now for 100 down, 10 up from Comcast in this, where I live now. But there I paid $60 a month for literally 10 times the speed down and 100 times the speed up. And the reason is because it was the, it's like water it was there be, to serve the community it was not there to make money the community owned it the community didn't want to make money off of it we wanted our internet to be as as good as it could be at, for as little a cost as possible so every neighbor it's the other thing it really was communism it was like uh, obamacare if you had a house in the community you had to buy the internet you had to pay for the internet but it's 2017 Every household pays for internet, and when you're forced to pay 50, it, the lowest plan was $40 a month for still like really good, 100 down, 100 up, or something like that. So when, if you're forced to pay $40 a month for, for uh, 100 down, 100 up, you're not that upset when literally everywhere else you could have lived, you're going to get internet anyway, and they would have charged you a whole hell of a lot more for it. <sighs> uh, communism. Now my blood sugar's low, talking about how sad this is. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you think about it, Rob? Uh, I think that the power of money is getting to be ridiculously strong in the United States. 
the super rich people don't want to pay as much in taxes and they don't really care what happens to everyone else. And then huge <laughs> monopolized internet providing companies uh, want to be able to charge more money for their services. But every time they just raise the rates, people get upset. So now they're looking for a different way to raise rates so they can make even more money. And uh, yeah. they're getting what they want too, even though in both cases it's against the interest of the people that are supposed to be being governed. Yeah. I think that's like a, a a key factor here is that it like it's perfectly clear in both the tax cuts that we're talking about and the the you know possible repeal of net neutrality rules uh neither is in the overall public's best interest like it's just perfectly clear um now if you want to argue about what the CBO has reported in the ta- in the instance of the tax bill, then let's argue about that. But, you know, they've been doing this for a long time, and I don't know how you could walk up to me and say, this is great for most of America, when it is clear that it is not. It increases the deficit. It only helps not everyone. And same with the repealing net neutrality literally only helps telecom companies. It does nothing to help consumers at all, which just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I, I honestly can't even believe that this is a thing that we're talking about. Like, I can't believe that it, it might even actually fly. Like, that, it's so flabbergasting that anyone would even consider this, and then actual people would be backing this up and convincing their constituents that it's better for them when it is only 100% clear that it is not. It's so frustrating. Maybe we need to get someone on who like wants it and see if like their reasoning is anything other than I really, 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 really have a hard-on for Comcast and their earnings per share. <laughs> like, I really don't know how else... Really though, if they if we do think that they're going to repeal it, I will buy stock in all the telecom companies the fucking day before because they will go up. We felt it was necessary to have a serious episode to talk about some of the things that are probably going to happen in December that are going to hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Um I wanted on record that I said they were real dumb before it was shown how dumb they were. And, and this is my, my way of doing that. This is your public statement. Um, but hopefully we'll be back to happier, less crushing topics uh, next week. Um, hopefully. Hopefully. But who knows what will happen. Um, Honestly, though, I, I would love to have some discussion. I, I like the net neutrality thing. Please have a discussion with me. It won't go very well because I really don't think there are any good arguments on the other side for taxes. I think there are at least some good arguments about pieces of it. So I'd love for people to hit us up on Facebook um, or, or over email or something if if they have questions or if they're interested in starting a discussion. Because um, I, I like discussing these things. I think it helps everyone. And so please feel free if you've got some good counter arguments or anything like that, let us know. Where should they go to have that conversation? I think Facebook's probably the best place. I feel like we're, we're pretty active there. And just look us up. Still got nothing. We made it. Pr- Why did we make it private? I don't even know. Uh, there's only two ways to do a Facebook group. You either have a group like this or you have a page. 
And a oh. page is, is weird about posting and everything. A Facebook group just allows you to have discussions in a more organized, better way. I wish you could just yeah. have a Facebook group that is open for anyone to join, but Facebook, yeah. as it stands now, doesn't, doesn't do that. But if you join in, like I, we, we're not ever going to deny anyone. I mean, if Donald Trump wants to join in, he's more than welcome. I get a notification when anyone asks to join the Facebook Same. group, and I have literally never accepted anyone because Aaron accepts them in the time it takes me to <laughs> click the thing every yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, so we won't turn you down. Join. And if you're interested to see some of the things that other people have discussed, like please, please feel free. Um, I think part of the reason why we wanted to do this is because both of us like actually enjoy talking about these types of things. I don't. And yeah. <laughs> I, I get a lot of uh, flack from especially family members that are like, you're just a dick trying to make everyone feel bad. And it's like, no, like I, part of this for me is to actually try to understand things that I don't understand. And if you have really good reasons or arguments for why things should be a certain way, like that I haven't heard especially, then I want to know because it helps me at least not think that it's just dumb. So if you've got a great argument for why we should repeal net neutrality rules, let me know so that I won't just think it's the dumbest thing ever invented. But we die. What's the word I'm looking for? Digress. Digress. We digress. <laughs> Digest. Uh, check us out on Facebook. Come have a conversation. Let's talk about this stuff. Let's figure this stuff out. Um, send us an email if, if you don't want to be public. Still got nothing at gmail.com um other than that we will have a guest next week uh don't know what we'll be talking about but i'm sure it will be fascinating um and uh i think i'm done aaron do you got anything else to say got nothing